The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to the show today. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And today's uh, title of our program is Following Up on Ferguson. Uh, in uh, This past December, a number of museum bloggers issued a joint statement calling for museums to address cultural and racial issues that were brought into sharp focus this past August after tragic events in Ferguson, Missouri, and other cities around the country. There have been uh, mediated Twitter conversations at Museums Respond to Ferguson and uh, also other conversations on other social media. And this has been a snapshot of how museums uh, were and were not uh, responding. Now, we have four guests today, uh, so I am going to dispense with a lot of uh introductions about them because we have only one hour uh, to talk about some very important things. However, I am cognizant that many of the listeners to this program are outside of the United States and and even outside of Europe. So I just want to frame, provide a little bit of background about uh, about Ferguson. Uh, As many of us uh, will never forget, on August 9th, 2014, Michael Brown, an 18 year-old black youth was shot by a white policeman. The officer, Darren Wilson, says that he shot in self-defense. The specific circumstances around this shooting remain in dispute. No criminal charges uh, were filed against the officer um, in uh, uh, Missouri from Missouri's grand jury, and yesterday's New York Times actually reported that the federal investigation will soon close and will most likely not um, result in further charges. Now, no matter the circumstances, the death of an 18-year-old is tragic. Um, I know that the uh, government says that 18-year-olds are adults, but uh, being the mother of a young adult uh, male myself, I see 18-year-old men as goofy, sweet, irritating bundles of promise. And when their lives are cut short, we are all uh, harmed and uh, uh, less. Uh, we lose that little shining shining star of potential. 
Now, the shootings in Ferguson opened wounds and laid raw, long-harbored resentments and angers feeling uh, surrounding the issues of race, relationships, inequality. Uh, they brought up feelings of impotence and disrespect, and they also... Uh, generated fears of unchecked power in our country. Uh, This erupted in violent protests and riots in Ferguson. This clearly was a community in crisis, and it didn't end there. This truly was our summer of discontent as our country witnessed other incidents of violence, including shootings of several other black youth by police officers, as well as the killing of two police officers by a black man. So, if museums are a part of their communities, if they really serve their communities, provide value, and make a contribution, all uh, bullet points that are listed in the um, American Alliance of Museums toolkit for uh, government advocacy, by the way, Uh, then what are our contributions to the situation? If we believe that museums are safe places where people from all walks of life can come together, uh, some have likened the museum to the uh, Greek sense of the agora, a place where we can all come together, then it would seem to me that museums should be playing a leadership role in bringing their respective communities together to discuss these very difficult and sensitive issues around uh, race and justice. And... We'll find out today in some cases they did, and in some cases they didn't. Now, I know six months is not long enough to have a clear historic perspective on what is going on. However, I truly believe that six months is a good time to reflect on what we have learned and how we can use that knowledge to do better in the future. So, without uh, further ado, I want to introduce my guests. I have Melanie Adams, who is the managing editor for community, I'm sorry, managing director for community education and events for the Missouri History Museum. Uh, I have Sam Black, who is the director of African American programs at the Senator John Heinz History Center, and he's also president of Uh, the Association of African American Museums. I have Gretchen Jennings, my dear friend, who is a museum educator, administrator. She was the editor of The Exhibitionist, moving that into a brand new uh, uh, format. And she is currently the blogger at uh, Museum Commons. And also Adrienne Russell, uh, welcoming her back uh, onto the show. She is a professional, uh, museum professional writer and blogger, and uh, I will let all of these guests tell you a little bit more about their relationship to the topic today. But uh, to get started, Melanie, I'd like to start with you because you were at ground zero, as we would say. She, You were in Missouri, and so if you would be kind enough, could you just take us back to those days and weeks following the Ferguson shooting? Um, what was the mood of the museum, and, and what were were the discussions like among staff members? Sure, sure. Um, first, one of the things you have to remember is the shooting happened on a Saturday. So while the museum obviously was open, 
we didn't necessarily, staff weren't actually here having discussions and things. But by that Monday, um, we'd already spent probably most of the weekend watching CNN and the local news and seeing what was happening. And it made it very clear that this was more than a routine shooting. And I don't use that term lightly, but there was something about this that made it a lot larger. Um, And so really the discussions that Monday was a lot of us just on social media trying to keep up. So you're on your Facebook, you're on your Twitter page, you know, just looking to see what's going on. And as a history, history institution, we talk about community issues on a daily basis. So this is one of the things that I really like to emphasize. Really, only two of our programs this fall were in response to Ferguson. We do programs on issues of race, class, gender, everything on a regular basis. Um, and so... It was just part of our fabric to go ahead and look at these types of events. Um, It's part of our mission. Um, This is just what we do. Um, But, you know, we were happy that people started calling us. So organizations said, hey, we'd love to partner with you to do a program. The first one who did that was... um, activist and author Kevin Powell with BK Nation. He did um, an amazing town hall meeting on the day of Michael Brown's funeral. And so we had over 500 people in our grand hall. And you have to also, one of the other things I like to tell people is you need to be prepared for that Um, because emotions run high, as you mentioned, and the staff has to be prepared because guests coming in are highly emotional about the situation. Everyone wants to speak. And so it really is kind of training your staff to be prepared for those types of programs. And also just monitoring the media and the news, because I think the other thing we're always looking at is, okay, are we going to be a site where there's going to be a protest? Because if you've been following for the last few months, there are protests at different sites around both Ferguson and St. Louis City. Um, But from the museum perspective, this is what we do on a regular basis. Um, I don't want to say it was business as usual, because that's never a case with a death, but we already had a lot of great programming happening this fall that we're going to address the issues related to Michael Brown. And so the other thing I really like to emphasize is Michael Brown, while it is a singular event, the tragedy of Michael Brown is really tied up in a lot of the decisions we've made throughout history. So looking at the Missouri Compromise, Dred Scott decision, Plessy versus Ferguson, Brown versus Board of Education, all of that ties into what happened to Michael Brown on August 9th, and our programming reflects that. Thank you, Melanie. Uh, I I want to emphasize uh, one of the points that you made. I think it is very important, and you said that you know you have to be prepared for this kind of tragedy. And I'm reminded, uh, Rainy Tisdale, uh, who was on the show uh, last uh, spring, talking about the uh, exhibit that she did, uh, Boston Strong, which mm-hmm. uh, uh, worked together with a variety of museums to commemorate and uh, uh, begin the healing process process after the Boston bombing made a very similar statement that uh, we can't forget that when these tragedies happen, the museum staff is also part of that community and is living it along with the rest of the community. And uh, depend that can uh, freeze us uh, into uh, inactivity and indecision, but uh, because your institution has been dealing with these things, you had a uh, a process, so to speak, right. to and, to rely on. Right. And I did want to just say one more thing about that. We even closed the day after the um, grand jury decision. 
um, for that reason, because we knew that, you know, staff were dealing with different things. And so we were closed that Tuesday after the decision so staff could take care of themselves and their families. That, thank you. Uh, that is also shows a great deal of empathy, and I know, and I'm using that word because Gretchen's on the on the line. But uh, <laughs> but before, um, and I'll, Gretchen, I'll give you a chance. But before I do that, Sam, I'd like to bring you into the discussion. Uh, could you just share some of the discussions then that you were having with both your colleagues at your museum as well as the AAAM after the shooting? Oh, sure. Um... Well, first of all, at the Center of the John Hines History Center here in Pittsburgh, um, we did not, as a staff, have much of a discussion uh, about programming because we were already doing programming uh, even before Michael Brown's uh, death. Um, uh, in November 2012, we opened a long-term exhibition called From Slavery to Freedom that, among other things, um, the exhibit... Uh, uh, looked at the examples of the abolitionist movement and compared them with the civil rights movement in Pittsburgh and beyond. So some of the issues uh, similar to Michael Brown that had taken place in Pittsburgh were part of the discussion in that exhibition. In addition to that, uh, we had some programming that included a film series uh, that is still ongoing. Uh, we are not going into our third year with the film series. Uh, and some of the documentary films that we touch on um, um, are about issues that Melanie had just talked about. Um, a lot of these historic uh, um, events and issues in American um, history uh, that impact race and, um, and look at the condition and experiences of African Americans. So as a, as a museum and as an organization, we're continuing to do what we've normally uh, been doing. Uh, but as President of Association of African American Museums, that's a different type of conversation um, because uh, most of our members, as you probably know, African American Museums are born with these missions to address the experiences of African Americans, whether it's in a historical context an artistic context, a scientific context. Um, so many of our member institutions, um, as part of their mission and as part of their operations, have always been addressing some of these issues. And going back to uh, situations in uh, Cincinnati in the early 2000s or reaction to Katrina, um, um, uh, some of our uh, member organizations were on the front lines of those situations and were more or less uh, community institutions rather than being uh, what we would consider as museums. So they were part of the solution to those uh, situations, similar to what Melanie is talking about in her institution, being part of the solution and not just being those behind the glass looking at what is happening. That's, uh, that's I think, a very important distinction uh, to make, and I appreciate you doing that, Sam. But I also uh, just want to, to affirm that the AAAM uh, did generate a formal statement uh, on the issue and the role of museums in, in dealing with that. And I believe, and, and do correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that, that this has been the only formal uh, statement made by a museum association. 
Well, for the Association of Midwest Museums, which I'm president, we did also put out a statement on our website. Oh, Melanie, thank you very much. Uh, that's and, that. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad I'm I've been corrected. Th- this is this is Gretchen. Um, as a result of the joint statement, which I can talk about in a minute, um, both um, the American Association of State and Local History. And NEMA, the New England Museums Association, did make formal statements um, later on in December. Oh, very good. All right. So um, uh, many more organizations are are taking a stand. I I guess the American Alliance of Museums hasn't done anything. Um, Have have any of you seen anything from AAM? The only thing that that the AAM has done, to my knowledge, is, um, again, after the joint statement, um, there was a question posted on their Museum Junction, which is their conversation page, um, asking museums uh, what they were doing related to issues of race and Ferguson and so forth, but there was very little response. But other than that, uh, there's been no public or official statement from AAM. Or from uh, Aztec, for that matter, or the Association of Children's Museums, to my knowledge. In, interesting, interesting. And I'm going, uh, thank you, Gretchen. And I will invite uh, listeners to uh, tweet or send me an email if, uh, if you know of any organizations that uh, have also made a statement that we haven't listed here. Um, I tell I, you I, what. If I can cut in, yes. this is Sam yes. again. Hi, Sam. Um, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History uh, submitted a statement by its president, Daryl Scott, before the Association of African American Museums. Uh, however, they are not a museum um, association. Um, uh, but I just wanted to get that on the record because they, they really um, were in the forefront, as far as I know, in terms of um, um, organizations that look at history and culture in American society. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for setting that record straight. Uh, Gretchen, Adrian, I want to get you into the conversation, but as you know, I am required to take a couple of breaks, and I don't want to uh, interrupt uh, your thought flow. So we are going to break right now, and when we come back, we're going to talk with uh, uh, Gretchen Jennings and uh, and uh, Adrian Russell uh, into the conversation and then open it up for a further uh, discussion and reflections. Thank you all so much uh, for listening to this very important discussion. Uh, I will make sure that I provide the contact information so that you can follow up with our guests when we come back. And so now we're going to take a short break. Uh, you are listening to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. We will be back in a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. 
However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and today I have a wonderful group of guests. Um, Melanie Adams, Sam... um, Black and uh, Gretchen Jennings and Adrian Russell on the show today. We are reflecting on the lessons that we've learned so far about the museum community and their response to uh, Ferguson and in a broader context uh, discussions in their community about the uh, difficult topic of race relations and uh, social justice. Gretchen, I'd like to bring you into the conversation now. Uh, you, as I mentioned, are a bl- uh, blogger, a very active blogger on Museum Commons. And you were one of the signatures, I know Adrian was as well, on a statement that was issued uh, on Ferguson uh, and about the important role that museums should be playing. Uh, could you just tell us how that statement came about? Sure. Uh, in in November, late November, when the announcement came out that um, Darren Wilson, the police officer who shot Michael Brown, was not going to be uh, indicted, uh, as you mentioned, there were a lot of demonstrations, not only in Ferguson, but really they began to spread all over the country. And there were also a lot of discussions about reopening the national conversation on race and prejudice. And, of course, this is an area uh, in blogging about the empathetic museum that I feel very strongly about. I feel that museums as cultural institutions need to be involved in and facilitating these kinds of conversations. And so I was going to write a blog about it, and I began to think um, 
my blog has some followers, but it's not a hugely followed blog. And I, I, um, I actually went back in kind of preparing for this and looked at the, um, the email that I sent out. I decided to contact other bloggers. And um, I wrote, um, I found when writing about the silence of museums on other social crises that I get very little response when I raise these issues. I think some of it is that my blog has a limited following, but also sense that museums generally just don't think of themselves as being relevant or connected to these larger social issues, even when their collections are related. So I am wondering what all of you think about connections between the role of museums and current events in Ferguson, and whether at least some of you might want to join together to begin a conversation in social media. So I, I reached out to about 12 or 13 bloggers whom I follow and whom I admire, and I proposed um, one of three things. I thought we could either develop a set of questions that we each would um, address, that we might each just address this issue on our own, or that we might develop a joint statement. And um, even though this was the weekend right after Thanksgiving, I heard back from almost everyone within a couple of days, and the consensus was, let's develop a joint statement because it might be more powerful and it would reach a wide range of people. Um, two of the bloggers that I that I contacted, uh, Nina Simon and Paul Orselli, have... Uh, huge followings, thousands and thousands of people. And so with them, as well as with a number of other folks who blog uh, on a variety of issues related to museums, children's museums and, and, and uh, uh, digital aspects of museums, uh, we, we put a document up on uh, Google Drive. We all worked on it. And by around the middle of December, we, we I- issued it, all of us, each of us on our own blog. Um, and the statement, just very briefly, and people can find this on pretty much any museum blog that you, that you follow probably, it, it basically called attention to the fact that um, museums of all uh, shapes, sizes, and themes, not just museums with African-American collections, um, needed to at least think about what their responsibilities might be. Um, we mentioned this, the public statement by um, the African-American Association of Museums, um, and we uh, sent our, our wishes that other uh, professional museum organizations like AAM and Aztec and so forth would join in issuing some kind of public statement. We also asked that museums, first of all, look within to see whether their own staff and, and their own um, generally their own staff were how they were resonating to this and what the concerns were and whether uh, the staff did represent the community and then we urged museums to reach out to their communities um, and to see whether they could partner with community organizations that were addressing um, issues related to Ferguson and by that time uh, there had also been the the Long Island uh, the the decision of the grand jury in Long Island not to indict the officer who who put Eric Garner into a chokehold. Uh, there had been the shooting in Cleveland uh, of a young African-American boy. And so 
there was a lot of discussion publicly, and what we were saying is we feel museums have a connection to this and could could help in the conversation. So that's Thanks. how the joint statement uh, came about. That's great. Thank you, Gretchen. I want to come back to you. Um, well, all of you, but but I do want to come back and and uh, you know get your feel for what the response has been. But before I do that, I really I want to bring Adrian into the conversation. Adrian, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Now, Adrian, you um, also a blog on um, Cabinet of Curiosities, and I know that you were a signer uh, and and clearly a uh, uh, creative developer in the uh, statement that uh, Gretchen was talking about. But you also uh, have been started hosting a discussion on Twitter, um, which is still sort of a magic thing to me, but uh, I'm thrilled that you did it. Uh, I'm assuming you've sort of, have you hosted sort of discussions like this before? Uh, Actually, this was the first time I'd ever um, hosted a discussion like this. I've spent several years um, managing social media feeds for museums and and other nonprofit organizations, but this was actually the first time that I had moderated a large-scale discussion on Twitter um, behind the hashtag, which mentioned are created. Um, so it's, it's been a learning experience, but I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's The part that I really think is fantastic is that it's bringing together um, all kinds of museums. You know, my background is in visual arts museums, but we've heard from from people that work in any kind of museum you can think of, historical houses and even libraries and archives. So it's, it's really... Um, an amazing kind of reflection of, of the cross-section of the depth of our work. Um, so that's been very, very enlightening for me. Do you have any, is there any way you can tell, do you have any sense of the, uh, you know, uh, the, the number of participants that, that, you know, and of course the, the challenge, of course, is, is that you only know people who write comments. You don't have a sense of how many people like me who are lurking in the background and not saying anything. Right. <laughs> we really don't know who's lurking, but if you are lurking, I would encourage you to uh, make your presence known. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we can track uh, just you know how many responses we get off of the tag, but it's really hard to know um, exactly how many impressions we're getting. Um, but what's really nice is that we're, the information that is shared in the live chat is being uh, shared again. So it's being retweeted, it's being um, favorited. I've had a lot of people tell me that they're taking those conversations back to their organizations and saying, look, everyone's talking about this. We need to start discussing this. Um, so it does have a, have multiple uh, ways of being shared and has life outside of just what happens in the hour that we're live um, chatting on Twitter, which is one of my goals and also the goal of my co-host, Leah Brown. Wonderful. And, yes, go ahead. I was um, just going to say that Aaliyah also puts all of those up on Storify, uh, which yes. is kind of a collection of the of all of the comments. And um, this is way beyond my level of competency also, but it's great to have that record. And, and so far there have been two chats, so there are two Storify records of the conversations. It's the third Wednesday of every month, right? Adrian? Yes, it's the third Wednesday of every month, and we chat from uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, so we've had two, and, uh, and as uh, she mentioned, they are sourced by Leah, and it's, it's, 
it's really nice to have that. Like you said, this is a snapshot of what's going on and what's being discussed. Um, and this is a nice kind of tidy package that if you wanted to get an overview of that conversation, you can look to those story files. And I've archived those on my blog. There's a page um, on Cabin of Curiosities uh, dedicated to museums just on Ferguson. And it has the story files and a lot of different resources um, related to this conversation. Adrian, I'd I'd like to ask you then, and then I'll I'll bring everybody else back in. What uh, what has? How would you characterize uh, the thing that's most surprised you uh, in looking over the uh, the comments and the discuss the now these two discussions you've had so far? Um. I think the thing that surprised me the most was uh, the amount of people who were surprised that museums weren't discussing this. <laughs> because to me, it actually it, it was reflective of what I've experienced as a museum professional and in that a lot of these issues aren't openly discussed um, that deal with race in, in the United States. Um, it's just a topic that a lot of museums won't delve into um, eagerly. Um, it usually takes uh, some kind of event such as, as what happened in Ferguson to, to start these conversations, but it's an ongoing thing. I mean, I really want people to understand that this isn't an isolated incident. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. These issues are dealt with by, you know, African Americans um, constantly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, really, I, I, yeah. It's not, uh, and and we have been saying this for, you know, I always sound so old, uh, but we have been saying this for many, many years. Uh, uh, February is not the only month to be talking about African Americans and their contributions and their challenges. It's not the only month to be talking about race, uh, and um, and and I and it's not the only time to reach out to a certain community uh, to bring them into. To the museum, it needs to be inculcated uh, because they're that that group. Uh, other people of color are other groups of people of color are all part of one's community, and everyone has uh, an equal seat or should have an equal seat at the uh, museum table. But I noticed that there 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 was a little bit of a pushback in some of the things that I was reading on uh, on on uh, the. Um, on the Twitter feed, and I'm wondering, uh, Melanie, have you, uh, in your conversations with other museum professionals, have you gotten any kind of, oh, I don't know, uh, incredulous feedback, surprising feedback? Um, Sure, I'm I'm actually glad you asked that, because it's interesting. Whenever I talk about um, the programs we do at the Missouri History Museum, one of the first questions I always get is, your boss lets you do that? And I remember, I was like, well, I didn't ask him, but um, <laughs> now it's a her. Um, but it's really interesting. I mean, it is so embedded in our mission. I mean, right after um, Trayvon Martin, we did like hoodies. with Like you could come in, you wear a hoodie, we take your picture, and then we had I Believe. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, so people taking their pictures, putting that on, on our Facebook page. It's just so embedded in what we do. It's not a ask permission, can we do this? And so I think what that shows, though, it comes from the top and it comes from your board. I do not want to discount the board because the board is very proud of the programming that we do here at the museum. 
Um, you know, to the point that hopefully they brag to their friends. <laughs> but it comes from board leadership and from the president's office that, that this is who we are, this is what we do. Those are very, very good points uh, and important points. That is probably the top uh, excuse I hear when I'm talking to uh, uh, some of my clients about this uh, and why they're not doing more. And they say, well, because our board president wouldn't allow it. Well, because our director is, you know, I don't know. uh, is 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 not supportive of it, and as as a, as you have mentioned, you you can move forward with the confidence that you do have the support of your leadership. But I also like that uh, the creative approach of sort of doing something and then asking permission later. I think right. that that and does I, instill right. a, an amount of creativity. Well, but one of the things I do want to mention, and I wrote this. Um, kind of in my comments as well, it's really important to have well-trained people at the table. So that being said, when we hold a discussion group, it is not my staff facilitating a difficult discussion. I bring in the Anti-Defamation League, the National Conference for Community and Justice. So you really have to know your community partners because facilitation Mm -hmm. is not something anyone can do. Everyone thinks they can, but you can't. And so when you're having these difficult conversations around race, class, gender, sexuality, whatever it might be, have the trained professionals in the room who know how to facilitate that dialogue. Don't think you can throw out some cookies and have your education coordinator do it unless they're trained in facilitation. So that's really important. And I think that's why our president and our board trusts us because they know we are partnering with the right people to present these programs. Uh, thank you, Melanie. That is an incredibly important uh, lesson to learn, not only for these particular issues, but for any Anything. issues. <laughs> is, is, is look at your community and see where the talent is and don't expect that you can do everything yourself. Sam, I want to bring you back into the conversation. Um, what has been your uh, uh, experience and in, in, um, what kind of response have, have you received from the A? A A M statement. Um, I received some very positive responses um, uh, from fellow board members and from uh, some of our membership uh, who are supporting it. Uh, they know and understand that it is uh, part of our mission as an organization, as advocates for African American museum professionals and African American museums. That this, you know, a statement like that uh, really falls into place about what. Uh, we are charged to really do. Uh, I also want to mention that museums' reactions to these types of social and racial um, ills in our society uh, did not start recently. You know, there's, I think Melanie has touched on this a little bit. Um, I, we can go back to the early 2000s and even before that uh, with the um, um, uh, police shooting that took place in Cincinnati and 2001 in the Cincinnati Museum Center, um, with, initiated by their vice president at the time, John Fleming, um, a wonderful exhibition that really set the museum up to be a real place of dialogue between the community and the police department. And they not only looked at the issue of that shooting in 2001, but the history of the relationship between the police in Cincinnati and the African-American community 
going all the way back through the 19th century. So there are some things that, that as museums that we can actually do that maybe no one else can do to engage the public almost immediately, you know, in addressing some of these ills and dealing with them in a historical context. And I just have to applaud um, Melanie for what they're doing um, at the Missouri, uh, Missouri History Museum because uh, they're really not only being on the front line, you're sort of, you know, we need to do something because this is right in our backyard. Um, but even for those uh, institutions where maybe it is not necessarily in their backyard, but there's a historic relationship, uh, we're seeing museums really step up. The uh, National Civil Rights Museum uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, under their new president, uh, has initiated a couple of programs uh, to extend that dialogue. Um, and, um, you know, there are a few other museums that have actually been doing it um, as well. So there is a history of this type of activism and programming on the part of museums uh, that, that museums that didn't necessarily see themselves as outside of the community. And that's one of the interesting phenomenon of African-American museums is that so many of them were born from the community and never really, um, uh, you know, just sort of displaced themselves from the community. So their programming and their mission and their objectives really still come from the community. So it is really a natural thing for a lot of them to really address these types of issues. Thank you, Sam. Uh, very, very good points. I can't add anything to that. Uh, we are going to take our second break, and when we come back, uh, we will continue our discussion uh, with with each of our uh, uh, panelists talking about the most important lesson learned and what uh, what they they want to say to museums who feel that this is not uh, an issue for them. And so we will be back in a moment. You are listening to to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. We will be back in two minutes. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. 
tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossard, and today I've uh, been talking with Melanie Adams, Sam Black, Gretchen Jennings, and Adrian Russell, uh, just reflecting on what we have learned so far about ourselves and our museum community as we address or don't the issues surrounding uh, race and uh, justice that have been brought into sharp focus uh, this past summer with incidences of uh, police shootings. And... Um, before I forget uh, and we run out of time, I want to remind all of you uh, listening out there that this conversation will continue. It will continue in a variety of ways. Uh, as Gretchen and Adrian mentioned, there is a monthly uh, Twitter conversation, hashtag museums respond to Ferguson. Uh, you can also, uh, Adrian on her uh, blog, uh, site uh, cabinets of curiosity has pulled together a wonderful set of resources having to do with these issues i would encourage you all to look at those uh, gretchen jennings also in her blog uh, museum commons will continue to talk about these issues uh, and you can reach her there uh, sam black uh, if you have uh, further uh, information that you want to uh, gather from him or uh, uh, learn more about the aa AAM, uh, contact them through their website, and Melanie Adams, who clearly has so much to offer uh, any museum who is interested in uh, building their toolkit to address uh, sensitive issues, can be reached at her uh, email address, which is mAdams at uh, mohistory.org. Um, again, thank you all um, for participating uh, Beef, I know you all have some some comments you want to make about uh, additional resources, but before I do that, I've got to I've got to throw this question at you. Uh, in preparation for this uh, conversation, I was talking with some of my colleagues, and I got um, a little pushback. And the pushback was, we've talked about this before. We've been talking about this since the 67 riots. We've been talking about this since the uh, 78 unrest in Newark. And nothing ever changes. 
Um, the four of you who have really been on the front lines on this, do you do you believe that things haven't changed? Do you feel the mo- the needle haven't hasn't moved, or do you uh, see? Are are you more positive? I'll start with um, I'll start with Gretchen. Uh, I would say that the needle has moved, but ever so slowly. And I agree that we have been talking about these issues for a generation at least. But this is why I ended up um, thinking about this question of empathy because to me the thing that hasn't really changed is that museums themselves have not really internally transformed so that they really connect with the audiences that they say they want to attract, and 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 specifically um, people of color, I would say. Museum staff and boards remain pretty white, um, and uh, you know from uh, elite groups of society. Um, their volunteer groups again are not diverse, and I think. I think without um, an internal, without the kind of philosophy that that um, Melanie is talking about or Sam is talking about within the museum, that there's there's just no question that the museum is linked to its community, that it responds when the community is suffering, and that the museum thinks about its community as being more than just the other white folks that are, you know, that are kind of like the people who work in the museum, there, there, there won't be this change. I think too often museums have hired a single community organizer. Often it's a young woman of color, and they ask that person to go out and bring in new audiences. But the institution that she represents is not any different than it was before they hired her. And so she's at a disadvantage in trying to say, this is a place for you. You know, we welcome you. We, we, you are of us. We are of you. So I think until museums really, really internally transform themselves, nothing will happen. And I think that's the big, that's the reason in the joint statement that we ask museums to look at themselves internally first before they go out to their community. Thank you, Gretchen. Eight, eight, you know, okay, so Gretchen is in my age cohort. We'll just, you know, that's that's no secret. Um, Adrian, you're sort of maybe on the on the uh, you know the growing edge. You're going to take over when Gretchen and I retire at some point. What are you What are you feeling? What are you thinking? Um, yeah, I would I would have to echo Gretchen's statements. Um, I've worked in museums for several years now, and um, very and primarily art museums and. Very, very often I am the only, and that is the only black person, the only person of color um, represented in the room. And I've had that um, an enviable position of having to uh, go out into the community and, and try to engage um, audiences. And they've <laughs> very rightfully so said, well, when I come to the museum, I don't see anyone there who looks like me unless they're pushing a broom or serving me uh, food or they're standing in the gallery, their security um, so the representation matters, um, and so I think it's, it's philosophically a lot of museums will agree that you know social justice and uh, racism are, are ills that should be addressed. Um, but that internal, that organizational 
um, work is not being done to reflect that. So um, our first conversation on, on Twitter dealt with, you know, museums' responses to Ferguson-related events, but then the, the conversation we had this week is about what are museums doing internally, um, because it, it's, it's not enough to just say, to go out into this community and say, okay, well, we're here to help you, we're here to solve your problem. Um, and then knowing that you, you have these same problems within your organization, but you're not addressing them. Um, so it, it's, it's a little uh, a disconnect. There's some kind of cognitive dissonance happening there. Um, and like Gretchen said, until that is addressed, um, it won't change. Um, and you know, that's what conversations have. Yes. Well, uh, you know, race... Uh, at, Race, gender um, inequality is is right up there with sex. Is something that that we all feel very uncomfortable uh, uh, verbalizing. Um, I'm I'm wondering though. It reminds me a little bit of what uh, Bill Booth uh, said a, a few weeks ago, and he was talking specifically about science centers. But I think that it it uh, uh, really affects all museums, and that is the very subtle but significant shift of institution of museums thinking that they are working for their community instead of working with their community. Um, Sam, I'm wondering um, what uh, what you are doing, uh, well, you and others at AAAM are, are doing in trying to raise awareness, awareness amongst all institutions uh, for uh, uh, better, better leadership at the top. Let's just put it that way. Uh, well, one of the things that we're doing at AAAM is reminding the museum field that African-American museums, not only in this particular topic, but other issues, social issues of America, have been addressing them for a very long time. Uh, whereas um, uh, mainstream museums, and I think this is where Gretchen's uh, point is lying, um, have been slow to approach uh, addressing uh, these issues, whether it's in, in programs, whether it's in staffing, or whether it's in building relationships with the communities that they want to reach. Um, it's one thing to say that you want to reach those communities and then going about putting the resources in place to actually do it properly. Now, I'm in an uh, interesting position because as president of the Association of African American Museums, in 23 years in the museum field, I've never worked in an African American museum. Uh, but I do know uh, what the issues are. I've collaborated with African-American museums. Uh, most of my colleagues are um, staff in African-American museums. Uh, so I have a very um, uh, interesting perspective in the sense that I can see from both ends of this uh, from in terms of the museum field. Um, so in terms of whether things have changed, it, you know, I don't think it's a yes or no answer. Um, it's sort of, um, um, you can see some positive changes, but whether those changes are being sustained, um, I think is a, is a um, uh, more interesting point. Uh, because, you know, unfortunately, um, in American society, engaged in American history, something like Ferguson is going to happen again. Um, and we're seeing, as you mentioned earlier in the show, it did happen again. Um, it happened before 
uh, Michael Brown, and it's going to happen after Michael Brown. It has been happening after Michael Brown. Uh, so museums have to really sustain themselves, and I think that what, what Melanie is sort of moving closer to is looking at the fact that uh, there is museum policy here, um, that we do not shy away from uh, social and racial ills in our community, that we actually are places that can help bring resolution, um, places of dialogue and so forth. Uh, I think that is extremely very important. So uh, with AAAM, it just so happens that our conference in 2015 is going to address these issues. Um, we're looking at milestones in African American history. Uh, so everything from um, the the uh, 13th Amendment in 1865 um, um, to uh, the uh, Voter Rights Act um, and the Civil Rights Acts of the 60s. Um, so for, uh, unfortunately, Ferguson falls right into place there. Right. And, and, um, and so our conference will be addressing this on a major scale. Fabulous, and, and, and I would just uh, remind everyone that you don't have to be a member of an African-American museum to attend the AAAM conference. Perhaps exactly. uh, there, there are some things that we can learn by getting out of our comfort zone. We have had a wonderful conversation today. Melanie, I'm sorry that I, I can't bring you back in. Uh, I, knew, I knew this was going to happen, and I think we will probably re, uh, reconvene this group in the uh, coming, coming months. Just to sort of keep us uh, on the up and up. Uh, museums uh, are, I think, uh, positive things are happening, but, you know, it's, a, it's tough to move a great big boat. Uh, I, I, incur, I thank all of you for, for uh, being here today, and I encourage all of my listeners to reach out to these wonderful resources and thoughtful people. Uh, Melanie, Sam, Gretchen, Adrian, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, next week, we are going to have Portia Moore talking about open authority. It's not too far afield from what we've been talking about today. Uh, so please listen in. This is an important dialogue that we're having. Uh, thank you for listening. This is uh, Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Please tune in next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.